Warning, this show is rated M for melanin. They were sitting in the chair yeah. and it was taking away things like Power Rangers. Oh, oh take away the Power Rangers. Dirty. No. I mean, oh, that's no. A, no, that's abuse. No, that's abuse. Welcome to Blacklight, the podcast that keeps it light while talking blackness. We're your hosts, Sheldon, Jason, Warren, and Julian. We're here to cast blackness in a new light from a fresh, finessed perspective. Every episode, we examine a social issue or current event through an unapologetically black lens. The show exists because in today's media climate, the experiences and perspectives of color are often unseen or overlooked. We wanted a place to share stories of black people, by black people, for all people. This is that place. This is Blacklight. All right, so Jason, you're a black dad. What are we talking about today? I am a black dad. Today we're going to be talking about parenting while black. Sheldon and I were actually a little bit before the, the this podcast. We're talking about every time we talk about parenting and and black parenting, uh, discipline or, or or getting your ass whipped always mm-hmm. comes up. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But since we're going to have a conversation about parenting, well, in full disclosure, I am. A proud parent of three amazing kids. I have Jeremiah, who will be 11 in a couple of days. I have a five year old, JC, and I have a newly minted three year old, Juliana. So, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> up until recently, I was the only parent of uh, the Black Light podcast. I want to go ahead and say congratulations to my man, Julian, who uh, went ahead and shot up the club. (laughs) 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 Pull up. (laughs) He pulled up. Pulled up to the club with a ceiling missing. You know, congratulations, my brother. Welcome to fatherhood. And man, how does it feel? It feels feels surreal. It hasn't hit me yet, but uh, seeing my fiance change in size is is uh it's it's hitting me and then seeing all the the rooms and stuff that we have to rearrange but let me not let me not make it about the struggle uh this is a great opportunity i'm looking forward to the i'm looking forward to the the role of being a father and especially a black father and uh jason you definitely set a a great example with the beautiful family that you're raising so uh so kudos to you man i gotta give the props to you man showing us how it's done Black excellence right here. He's saying that right now just so that he can ask you for favors like as soon as this kid (laughs) pops out. (laughs) I babysit no damn kids. I'm going to just tell you that now. You don't have to babysit if you don't recognize which one's yours. Oh, my. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, I'm a proud father of five. Wait, five? When I get five? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, Julian, we, we've had conversations, some awkward, uh, uh, conversations, Most awkward. <laughs> mostly awkward, about parenting. And, you know, I know that's something that you've been kind of interested in. Your field of work is is sort of dealing with kids and, and all that. So I think you definitely have the, the skills to do that. But I wanted to go ahead and get into raising kids. And I guess we'll go ahead and talk about the, the more controversial some would say funny aspect of parenting while black, which is disciplining. A lot of our listeners probably got spankings. A bit more of you probably got uh, beatings. And some of you <laughs> might have been accelerated to ass whippings by your by, right. by your by your parents. <laughs> we probably run the gamut. I guess we'll we'll go around to, to talk about how we were disciplined and how we feel about that. I will say that I was a, a unicorn. And, and by I didn't I my mom did not spank me. Um, I was <gasps> believe it or not, believe it or not, I was a really good kid. I was the only kid. Um, so and just look how you turned child. out. Yeah, <laughs> I turned out fucking great. Um, but but yeah, it, you know. So I I did not get spanking. That was not the experience with most of my friends. 
especially in the Latino and Black community, and, and some others as well. E- even just growing up in the South, like I think that was definitely the spare the rod, spoil the child, right? That um, <laughs> advice there. I always um, love that saying. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is interesting. We'll, we'll get into it a little bit more. But what was everyone's experience getting disciplined? So wait, I just I just want to be clear. So we're you're asking us to recount our supposed history of child abuse. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it doesn't well, Okay, well, there you go. Was beating, I mean, we'll some people think it's just a way to how you should raise your kids and others, others don't. It's like, now I'll say with, with my kids, I don't beat or, or, or do anything like get the switches and all that. Before I had kids, I was like, I'm not going to do that to my kids because I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Now, being a father of three, I will say, especially with my son, I don't, (laughs) it is sometimes absolutely needed, in my opinion. But don't leave a mark, man. Well, he's very light. So (laughs) So So don't don't touch him. Don't touch him. That's kind of hard to do. But, um, but, you know, that, that's something I've definitely wrestled with and talked to, you know, people that I respect as, as parents and seeing what their thoughts on it, on it was. And, and mostly what, what I get is, yeah, that's something that, you know, I did or but I think the key thing is, is to not do it out of anger. It should not be your go to. Kids do bad, naughty things all the time because they're kids. So some of it is not their fault. They're just being kids. So I think you have to consider that when you're disciplining your kids. But I want to hear what your you guys' experiences were. were. Yeah. So I it wasn't the most memorable part of my childhood, but I, <laughs> I definitely have been the recipient of the switch, as you alluded to earlier. Oh. I, I have, man, we had this little twig bush. Warren, I don't know if you remember back on, on Kirby Road, man. We had this little yeah. twig bush. And I remember one day, Grandpa, uh, his Grandpa, our grandfather was the father figure in my uh, my family. So you hear the story like, oh, well, you know, my, my parents made me go out and pick my own switch. And so I've definitely <laughs> been there. I've definitely been there. And that has happened. Uh, and so I've gotten the switch. I've gotten the plastic ruler. I never gotten the I got the wooden spoon. But it, it definitely wasn't a memorable part of my of my childhood because it didn't happen very much because I, like Jason, was a unicorn. And I'm also an only child. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, so that was that was it for me. Well, let me let me talk to you guys a little bit about what it's like to be the middle child. Mm. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Let, let, let me get my, my notepad. Hold on. <laughs> because it's a little different. <laughs> and so it's actually pretty opposite for me. So, Julian, you say that it's not a memorable part of your childhood. It's actually a very memorable part of my childhood. I got it's almost hard for me to talk about it sometimes because I don't mm. actually know the words to use to talk about it. Because mm. like if I were to say something like I was spanked as a child, that was not what was happening to me as a child. Like when I think about getting spanked, I think of somebody maybe using their hand and swatting at you and be like, mm-hmm. why don't you do that again? Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. But I think when like tools become involved, like a belt or like a, like a paddle or something like wow. that, that's, that's truly something else. And that was really my experience. And the crazy thing is, because we're talking about black parenting is, those were things that I experienced pretty much exclusively from my dad and almost never from my mom. As a matter of fact, I remember one time I must have been seven or eight and my mom gave me a spanking. She won. She did not want to, but I was being a little badass at the time. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was doing, but my mom was so reluctant. She was like, I do not want to have to give you a spanking, but I will if I have to. And I was trying her patience over and over again. And then eventually she like got out a little wooden spoon and like smacked me like on the butt a couple of times. And like I looked at her and she looked at me and I was like, are we done? That was the extent of it with my mom. I got you. Yeah. But with my dad, it mm-hmm. was very different. And so it was to me and, and the way that I would classify it is was ass whoopings and beatings. He like I always try to look at it as an adult and look back on those things now. Cause like as a child, he would always say like, I don't do this because I want to, I do this because I love you. And I really bought into that as a child. And I thought, man, I'm like, I must be like a really bad kid. And Mm. I just deserve these, like these beatings all the time. And then as an adult, I realized, holy shit, I was just being a kid. Like I was trying to figure things out. I was curious. I didn't always respond on the first time or something like that. Or I would make up stories or I would, you know what I mean? I was a kid though. 
You know, I wasn't out hurting people or causing like real world problems. I was just curious. I like to play in the woods and ride my bike and then come home and get ass whoopings for not coming home, you know, coming home at the, at the right time. Right. And the last thing I'll say about this, but I do definitely want to open it up is that really changed the way that I look at things. And so, Jason, as you're talking about, you know, your experiences being a father and a black father, I know for me, like I don't have children or at least none that I know of allegedly. And so, um, <laughs> but I do think about that as, you know, one day I do want to be a father, you know, I think about that and what kind of father I would be and, you know, I'm going to be some wild ass dad. But my main thing is I really, I don't think that the way to teach children how to be good humans is to hit them. And, and this is just my takeaway. And my thing is how can you raise children and say, don't hit other people but also do as I say, not as I do. And really what you're doing in that situation is teaching children to respond to negative situations or situations where something doesn't happen correctly with violence, actually. Mm -hmm. And so that's my perspective and my take on that. I do think that there were times when I definitely needed to be disciplined as a child. But as far as like the butt whoopings go, like all of that could have been left out and I think I would have been just fine. Personally, I think my like confrontation style or my argumentation style when when I have problems with friends of mine or when my fiance and I have have issues is is like literally exactly the same as whatever the precursor conversation to a punishment was for me when I was growing up where my mom and dad would sit me down and we would talk about what was wrong and what what I was doing that was different from their expectation and why that hurts them or or why that's you know something that they can't keep having me do right and then I would be put in timeout to think about that in a really uncomfortable chair <laughs> and, and I I to this day I hate that chair I really hate that chair you but that's that's like so when my mom sold her house a year ago that chair, I think, was gotten rid of. Uh, <laughs> By you. <laughs> It'll be at your doorstep. It's at your doorstep I, tomorrow. I want you to may have, may have been lost to the ages. But <laughs> Warren, I was going to say, I don't mean to interrupt. I want you to keep telling Go the ahead. story. But I, I really find that interesting in terms of a means of punishment in that or a means of discipline, which is not violence or uh, physical abuse, but actually ma making the child uncomfortable. Like you did this thing that's wrong and you, now you need to feel some sort of discomfort here, but that discomfort doesn't necessarily need to be physical pain. Yeah. I was also, I was also a very, I'm, I'm a very extroverted person. I'm the kind. No, no like, you're not. If you said extrovert, like I'm dictionary definition extrovert. So this, this chair was in the room of the house that no one was normally in. So I would sit in that chair and be uncomfortable and not be around people, like no stimulus, nothing, right? Yeah. That was a very uncomfortable and and an annoying situation for me to the point where I was like, I don't want to do anything that puts me in that chair. I didn't have to be hit because I, I like I understood where the boundaries were mm -hmm. and I understood that if I crossed those boundaries, we would talk about what boundary I crossed and I would be made to sit in the place that I don't want to be. So it made clear lines for me to follow. And I basically wasn't punished like most of my childhood. Wow. Um, yeah. It, you know, and now that, that's interesting. One thing I learned sort of quickly, again, having having three kids that each kid is is so different. What works for, for instance, my, my five year old, who's like the sweetie pie of the family. I can just give her the look and she she'll start, <laughs> you know, start, start mm -hmm. crying. Now, Jeremiah is going to be a battle. We're going to talk. He's going to get loud. I'm going to get loud. He's going to say, you know, like it's it's a whole <laughs> thing. Like, you know, what works so to for what I had to learn is, you know, just have a a a parental toolbox. And I don't break out the the whip. Like, well, first of all, he's he's too old. 
in my opinion, to, to, to spank anymore anyway. But what I use for him, you know, you have to know what's most effective for that child. For you, Warren, that was a super effective punishment, you know. Man, there were a couple of things. It was it was sitting in the chair yeah. and it was taking away things like Power Rangers. Oh, oh take away the Power Rangers. Dirty. No, I mean, that's no. A, no, that's abuse. No, that's abuse. No, you can't do that. It was, mm. well, I mean... You know, I got in my feelings thinking I was a Power Ranger and, you know, fists start flying a little bit. And, <laughs> oh, uh, and my parents were like, listen, you're not a Power Ranger. So until you realize that this is a uh, a game and right. a show right. and not a way of life, we're going to take it away from you. <laughs> right. We so, need you to morph back into a real boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I made it my career, but... <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, and it's one thing that that bothers me, say, when, I, when I'm talking to a group of friends, because a, a, a lot of my friends were beat, were not mm. spanked, because spank is just you know, right. a little pat on the butt, but beating like with weapons, like like Sheldon said. Yeah, we're like if somebody goes to the tool shed yeah. and like takes out a saw and cuts a board in half and then uses that like that's abuse. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a paddle or they like drilling holes in it so that it's more aerodynamic and it like cuts <laughs> through the wind. I'm like, this, this, bro, like yeah. this, it's too much. It is so interesting because like sometimes when people start to talk about their childhood, they like go to that fondly like yeah you know it's, it almost becomes like a, a competition like yeah when i was bad my mama used to go out and get a, a two by four and she would beat my ass and two by four. i'm like it, it's it's become such an ingrained part of black culture in that it's, it's really hard to to change that because I, I personally do think that beatings and, and things of that nature are abuse but i start to think about why that's so mm. prominent in certain communities and i think that it goes back to slavery and how men and women were were disciplined by the by the master and to get kids in line they probably beat them I beat them like a runaway slave slaves <laughs> yeah and and, mm. and I think that I honestly think that that tradition was just passed down it's like no well we and part of it did save some kids because the the world is more harsh to people of color to to black mm. folks so i like i get it but i don't get it now like yes the world is harsher but they don't agree with it but i understand a parent doing that in the 1950s in the 1960s in 2020 i don't understand why parents some parents go to that length of disciplining their kids there's so much we we are evolved and i don't think that's necessary. And, it, you know, people will say, oh, well, I, shit, I turned out fine. Like, you know, so it just, it just kind of mm. it's like, well, you know, did you? You know, I, I would have preferred less know? beatings for sure. I would have preferred yeah. less beatings. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I do want to circle back to um, to what you were saying, Sheldon, just in terms of the way that you were disciplined growing up. I think it really goes and ties. We about to get into a therapy session here. This is getting this is getting real. So <laughs> what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that this was disturbing to you. No, but it really goes into this age old question of is it better to be loved or feared? And how do you want your kids to think of you when they grow up? How do you want them to look back on you? And I think of Warren's example and saying like sitting down and talking to you and understanding why what you did was wrong. And what that does is that builds empathy, right? It's like, okay, I can understand why this was wrong. And I think, I think for me, one of the biggest things, and I can't remember like specific like talks that I had to make me feel that I should not have done something. But I remember the thought that if I do this, this is going to disappoint my family mm. and disappointing my family to me is devastating. Like that to me, that's worse than, you know, getting hit, any kind of spanking, beating, whooping, whatever you want to call it. You know, and like like you said, Jason, man, it it does go historically, and I feel that there's this narrative that the, you know the black parent has to be the stern, strict, mean, like precious, you know, precious is uh, oh, mother wow. back in the, the movie, yeah, yeah, right, the right, 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 exactly, yeah. So, well, I wanted to add to that and say, I mean, because I've obviously been candid and talked about some examples and things like that, and of course, I mean, I have truly thought about this over over the years, obviously, when these things were happening to me. And I would question those same things in terms of like, is this tough love? Is there something that I'm doing now that this action, this this beating or this spanking, this butt whooping, 
is preparing me to like meet later in the future so that I don't make this mistake later. And I truly think like for the most part, things of like morality and understanding, like don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Like you don't have to physically hurt a child to get them to understand those concepts. And so like my dad and his side of the family, they laugh and they joke about how they used to get beat as kids. They talk about how, like you said, it's like a almost mm-hmm. like passed down from generation to generation. They're like, you know, mom would make us go out and pick our own switch. We would come back with mm-hmm. a short, skinny one. And she'd be like, Mm-mm, go get the long. Oh, man, I'm not even going to do the long. I can't even do it. <laughs> but, you know, go get another switch. And, you know, so part of that was as just growing up and becoming my own man was looking at the actions of my father and, and while judging him for his actions or saying, you know, he is responsible for those instead of harboring those feelings and being like, you know, I I can't reconcile things with my father. I forgave him for that without his knowledge. I just said, I forgive you. And then the other thing was that I promised and vowed to myself that I will be the one to break that cycle. Amen. And so, you know, moving forward, like I am, I'm probably the most nonviolent person. Like I get angry, I get upset about things, but it takes a long time for me to get there. But I know that through and through the way to resolve issues and to get people to understand things is to have conversations and to explain why things are not correct or why they didn't do a good job or why they shouldn't do that. Or out there in the real world, people won't treat you like this. So in here, I'm going to prepare you to be out in the real world, but I'm not going to prepare you here where you're loved and protected by beating you mm, like that to mm. me, like is just so counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, it's like that's, breaking you down to build you up. Right. Type. And that's, yeah. that's my take on it, you know, and, you know, I definitely have many stories that I could share that, I mean, I won't share them on the podcast, but I definitely yeah. have those experiences and, and it really taught me a lot. And that's what I try to do. Like whenever there's a negative situation, I like try to look at it and say, where is the silver lining here? What can mm. I learn from it? Mm-hmm. And even if it's bad, I'm like, okay, well now I've learned not to be like that. So that's, that has been my takeaway yeah. from it. And I could be completely wrong because I don't have kids, you know, and like, maybe I'll have kids and be like, man, I got to beat these little motherfuckers. But <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think so. I think that I'm, I'm more enlightened. I am more aware. And like, these are things that are, are like acute in my mind. And I like they stand out or they stick out so much that I'm like, I must make sure that I do not carry this on. Every generation picks things that they say that they're not going to do from their previous generation. Mm. Because I heard that from from my mom and my dad saying, well, like, you know, grandpa used to do this and I'm like, that's Mm. not going to be me. I'm not going to be that type of parent. Mm. But I feel like we're going to do that thing, too. And I think that this is one of those things that's on that list of like chopping block items where we've, we've got to go, you know, like I don't think necessarily in 2020, it makes any sense to fight your children. (laughs) (laughs) Like I got to fight this bad motherfucker. It's, it's it's not a fair fight and, and it's not, it's not preparing them for what they, it's not giving them what they need, which is the understanding of the consequences of the actions because, I mean, as Julian was saying before, the disappointment is a good tool to say, like, I don't want to disappoint my family because I care about my family. That matters, right? But there's also all of these other tools. I mean, we talk about the talk that black mm. parents have with their children about police officers. And this is a, a perfect example of a situation where you're going, here are the real world consequences for acting anything but perfectly. Mm. So you're, you're forced as a parent to go, okay, I need to prepare you in this house for understanding the real world. And if, if I'm doing that by preparing you with what the consequences of your actions are, then you'll understand what's going on in the real world. Whereas if I just whoop you, you might know where the lines are, but you don't know why anything Mm, exists. You don't know, you don't know how to navigate new situations because you don't know what the lines should be in this new situation. And I want to say, I can telepathically hear all the the parents like screaming right now right um <laughs> and, i'm sure and, and i'll say very high level i certainly agree with you i, I don't believe in beatings but it reminds me of uh, what did mike tyson say everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face <laughs> kids are irrational so a, a lot of because they're they're kids mm. <laughs> they're 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 learning to be adults and understand things in, in an adult level and, you know, a lot of times you will, it is the, the best route to just 
talk to a kid and rationalize them because they they'll they'll pattern that and and they'll get that in their lives. But it is times though that when you are sort of at your breaking point. So I, I don't want to say that I don't want to, but certainly I'm not looking down on, on parents who do spank their kids pretty hard now being uh, that's that's a different thing so because i i get it like i, I mean i've been there I, there are things situations anger points that i didn't think a little kid could get me towards i'm like i, I feel like I'm, not, I'm like you a grown man sitting beside me right you know, in front of me right now like, you gotta whoop you I, like a stranger you was, I, I will beat your ass right now and kids will get you to that point and not you know not to mention all the other struggles just being a parent you know the 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 constant worrying about their well-being like this is the most mm. sacred precious thing ever and they're fucking jumping off houses like you know uh, it's uh, it's something <laughs> that it, it's a constant worry it's a constant it's a nagging loving um nagging the back of your head like what are they doing you know mm. I, I i remember one time uh, it was probably last year i just called my mom it was like one of them times i was just like just had it up to here with my kids i was just like out of it right and i was like mom i just want to say thank you so much <laughs> like mm. i you you know, raise, I mean, even though she just had one kid, she did it primarily by herself. And, you know, she did a lot of the harder tasks by herself and did it, you know, like backwards and heels, like, like, and, and also going to school, working two jobs. Like you did all of that. One thing I definitely do with my kids is I don't sugarcoat. I, I, I do age appropriate talks or whatever, but mm-hmm. you know, all the things that are going on in the media, especially with, with my son who will be 11 in a couple of days, I don't really, I don't sugarcoat anything with him to the chagrin of his mom, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I think it's just helpful. And, and plus he's a very, very smart kid. Like he asks yeah. better questions, um, more probing questions than most of ad- a lot of adults that I have in my life. So I feel comfortable enough because I know him, I know my son to, to drop certain like jewels on him and, and or, or tell him like, okay, well, this is what you learn in your history books. And this is what actually happened, you know? So I think yeah. it's, in, it's imperative that every black parent does that every Hispanic, every other parent, or even, even um, allies or white folks. Okay. I, I think everybody should, you know, have that talk. And when we say the talk is it's like, well, okay, this is the world how it's presented sometimes and this is how the world actually is this is the struggle that these people go through these is this is the struggle of of our community or whatever community so yeah well i'm I'm actually glad you you brought that up because that ties into something i wanted to revisit uh, talking about warren in terms of questioning and, and kids asking questions i don't know if any of you guys have had the experience of being told stop asking so many questions or getting like discouraged for asking so many questions but i i see that and i'm just like yo that's that's such a crazy thing to do because you praise your kids right for being free thinkers and and uh being able to think abstractly in some points and just uh, jason like you said with your son jeremiah like just being able to like probe and ask those questions i think that's such an important skill and a trait that we have and that's those are traits that we look to the leaders of today and tomorrow for but I'm sure you guys, if you haven't experienced it, you've probably seen it, but it's just like, like, boy, stop asking so many questions. You know, it's like, oh, okay, like shut up and and go do what you got to do, you know. But if you're told to do something and you're like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. Why should I do this? And it's like, okay, just do it, do it, do it because I say so. That's one of those questions. But sometimes you do have to say that because the it's it's like okay like explain it to a five-year-old like why i shouldn't you know jump off this yeah. balcony well, i think so but i think my general, general question is yeah. my, my general question i think is at what point do you kind of move away from that you know so i can understand five years old but you know when you get into like the eight nine ten twelve it's because we have to have these difficult talks about how to how to act in public and how to encounter the police and you know all the other important talks and so they're gonna ask questions from what I've seen, a lot of people don't want to approach questions they feel uncomfortable about talking about. So, so they'll say like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it or stop asking questions or, or things like that. But it's just because they don't feel comfortable talking about those issues. I've heard that a lot recently with kids questioning the, the George Floyd situation, you know, asking their parents, going on and their parents trying to brush it off because 
they don't want to talk about it with a an eight-year-old, right? And and they don't know how they would because they haven't been talking about it enough with their friends and <laughs> their friends who are parents and their parents. And, you know, like the more, I think the more we get these conversations sort of in our, in our mouths and in our, our daily lives, it's easier to then go, okay, so how would I explain this to a six-year-old? And we're going to do bad jobs. Like it's not, <laughs> there's no manual for this, but I think a lot of the time the idea that we have to explain to a kid perfectly is totally wrong. They're, they're so like, they're so receptive to the way that we talk about things and not necessarily exactly what we say, that it's important what we come to them with energy-wise. And so making sure that we're we're coming to them, trying to answer things to the best of our ability and empathetically, and treating them like they're smart enough to understand what we're saying, those things have a lasting impact on how that kid feels about those conversations. You know, I, I also want to add to that, too. I, I would imagine that part of it is that as the parent, you are seen as, you know, the, the person who provides guidance in, in terms of protection. And I think there is uh, in some cases that that ego part of it to where like you are, you are seen as the expert. And so you just kind of dismiss what they're asking, even though it might be a very important question, but their inability to answer really for them triggers or might trigger a like a fear of inadequacy of being able to answer those things. So when you don't have these important discussions with your kids, like I, I guess at an appropriate age, then that's something that can play out in a bad and a negative way as well. Any conversations you're scared of having with your kid? For me? Yeah. I don't want to say scared, but I think one of the conversations that I am not looking forward to having is mm -hmm. looking back, let's say when he's like six or seven, I'll say, well, you know, before you were born, and hopefully only before you were born, we had this uh, this president named Donald Trump. And this is what happened during his administration. You know, and, and you uh, say that to a six year old. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm still <laughs> look, man. <laughs> but having to explain uh, the history of why things are the way that they are, mm -hmm. just in terms of, of people who look like us and they're going to be confused. He's, he's going to be confused. His mother doesn't look like me. We are different. We come from different backgrounds. And, and she's way shorter. Why, why do she's, you say he's going to be confused? Uh, his mother will be Bolivian. And even still, so Bolivian and Croatian. So you have a different set of cultures that you're, you know, that you're working with. And then you have me like on the black side. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I, I mean, yeah. And it's natural to be confused when you have so many things. And especially as you get older, because there's a sense of belonging that you want to have. You know, there's a sense of belonging that, hey, so like, what are you? <laughs> you know, that type of that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you as a, as a person that, that grew up with that idea, that's not confusing if you treat the home life in the way that I think you're going to treat the home life. Because if you treat someone as, as a part and they grow up feeling like they're a part of both, they're going to feel included mm -hmm. and feel like the world just doesn't understand why I'm included. Yeah. And and the outside world will be confusing in terms of like how the outside world looks at things, because that's just weird. But mm -hmm. but the family situation doesn't have to be confusing to the kid. Yeah. Well, I wanted to actually open up the conversation and make it a little bit more uncomfortable here and talk. About okay, great. And, uh, even talk, more? <laughs> yeah, even more uncomfortable. And let's talk about sex for a second. So mm. <laughs> what but, is that? I don't know. So. As me being, you know, not having any kids, I've never had the opportunity to talk to my non-existent child about sex. But you know, the whole the, the whole birds and the bees conversation. I've always been curious, especially as more information becomes available societally. When do we decide, as parents, like when is the appropriate time to have that talk or that conversation with kids? Like, is there an age? Is it is it six? Is it eight? Is it ten? Is it twelve? Is it before they go off to high school or college? You know, what's what's your thought, Jason? Like, what do you think about like when is the appropriate time? To, I, I've got my own feelings, but I don't have kids, so yeah, I just yeah. want to throw that out there. Yeah, well, I'm still waiting to have my birds and the bees conversation with my parents. I, we never had it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say with your kids. He said, "Come on with your." <laughs> we uh, we we never had it. It, it was just like that's one topic my mom never never approached and, and my dad never talked about it 
I was actually yearning to have that conversation. I did not want to have it with my mom. I wasn't as close with my dad where I, I feel like I could I could talk to him about that. So it was actually, and it wasn't necessarily a birds and the bees conversation. It was more like, well, when you get into that situation, what what do I do? Like, uh, you know, just just general basic kind of information about it. And I actually <laughs> sort of scheduled my own birds of the bees conversation with my, he, he's passed away now, but my aunt's husband, who I was, I, I was really close with. And he just broke it down to me. He was like, you know, I, I remember the conversation like it was, it was yesterday. He was just basically like, you know, when you find somebody, he, he didn't get all holy roly on me. Like, oh, you don't need to be having sex. No way. You don't, you know, it was just like, if you decide <laughs> to have sex, Make sure it's with a person that, you know, you care about when you get into this situation. Don't be super nervous. You're going to like figure stuff out because I, I was just like, well, well what do I do? Suppose she does this. You know, I, I asked all those awkward as, you know, 12, 13 questions that a 12 or 13 year old do. Now, for my kids, uh, again, I just go back to being well, my kids are really young, so we haven't had that conversation. Um, I have talked a little bit about girls and stuff like that with my son, but we haven't had the full on birds and the bees conversation. But I, you know, I have two girls and a lot of people kind of trip like, oh, well, you know, I'm, if a guy shows up to my house, I'm going to have a, sh-, you know, all that shit is, is stupid to me. I want my girls to have healthy normal relationship would man whatever they they decide i just want my my goal for my kids are to be happy and productive and add more to this world and they 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 take so as long as they do that check mark like i've i've done what i <laughs> i've done what I, I i was set on this planet to do so you know i don't really fear like oh suppose my girl you know gets pregnant and that and my son get, you know and it's always the woman it's always the girl right like so i i just don't have those fears i'm just like you know my girls are just like like they'll they'll fall in love they'll fall in love they'll get their they'll get their heart broken and, but you know i'm gonna just be real with my kids like and have that conversation and not have have them to seek that conversation out with somebody else like i like i did yeah i think that that's so important it really is just to be honest with your kids as much as you can be i think that again i'm not speaking from a place of experience of a parent but just as speaking from having parents the longer that you wait to have difficult conversations really with in all things but especially with kids the more difficult it becomes to have that conversation and for that to be meaningful and like you guys have alluded to or said before is that disappointment is a real tool. Like Jason, I like the way that you put that. Like you have this tool tool set that you use instead of saying, all right, well now I got to just start whooping everybody's ass. You're like, I've, I've got these no. tools that I've worked on and sharpened so that when these situations happen and you're looking at your 11 year old son, like I'm not the to fight him like a grown man, <laughs> you know, but instead you're like, okay, what are the tools that I have at my disposal so that I can actually work through this situation so that he can learn and that he can be productive and I don't have to keep dealing with this bullshit over and over again. <laughs> so I just, I think that that's really important. So, all right. Well, so another question I want to throw out there to you guys is we've all heard it and maybe even thought about it as we reflect ourselves, like on ourselves, but the stereotype of black men or black fathers not being in the home. And mm. I wanted to get your thoughts and feedback on what you think or feel when you hear that. And then also what commitments that you make to yourself, to your families and to the world to do your best not to be that. Man. So if we want to talk historically, there's a, again, a great documentary called the 13th Mm. on Netflix that should help anybody understand the historical context within which we have this idea that black men don't make good family men, right? It's this idea that, you know, slave owners that were splitting up families that were cohesive family units, the way they could easily say, oh, we can do this, no problem, is to say, oh, those black men have no real family tie, no mm-hmm. no actual, you know, real solid family structure. So it's no problem mm-hmm. to just break them away from their family, their wives and their children. Right. And that's, that's how black men were described up until the end of slavery. And then slavery ends and Jim Crow laws come into play 
And then the the one piece of the 13th that allows you to still have slaves is the piece of the 13th that says, unless you're convicted of a crime. So they start convicting all of the people that they want to work for free of crimes. Petty crimes. Which happen to be of, you know, all of the black men in, in the areas. So that, again, takes the black men out of the home and puts black men in jail working for free again and that continues up until today so so we have this consistent rhetoric of oh black men are not in the home but if we actually really look at why we say that about an entire population we say that about an entire population because a different population has made that true for the black community And consistently right, does the, things to try to make that true for the black community. But the narrative is constantly fed to us and the rest of the country that, like you said, Warren, that uh, that black men don't make good family men or that they're consistently right. not in the home. But there's a whole host of factors that go into that. Like if you're just looking at statistics and saying one thing, well, that doesn't cover the full gamut of the reasons why these typical things are happening. It also brings up the conversation about, you know, the strong black woman and the, or the single or the strong black woman or the, or the single black woman, you know, in, in the family and sort of being the, like the matriarch. I'm tired of black women having mm. to be the strongest right. person. That I think black women are tired know. of it too. <laughs> right? Like I, I'm sure. Right. Not saying that black women don't deserve to be strong as well, but the idea that they like, need to be strong because that's the only way they can survive is just kind of shitty that we've put that on right. them. And, we and then continue when they, you to say, Oh, but she's so strong. Obviously she could take it. Right. Right. Like yeah. stop. Right. Just, it's too much. And, and, and getting back to that narrative, I, I just want to put a, a news flash out there. You can be a good dad and not be a husband just because the the guy is not maybe married and this goes for everybody i have like a council of dads i call them, like guys that i go to when i'm having it when when i need advice with my kids That's smart my man cowboy mike and jamal my man jamal has a few kids he has five actually and he's not necessarily with the the mother of the first two but he is probably one of the best dads Ever that at least that's that's in my life. So when people throw that at black men, it doesn't. You know, you have to look at kind of what Warren was saying, the statistical stuff, and and, and that was a purposeful thing to destroy the black family. But um, let's not also discount all the amazing black fathers out there who maybe are not married to the mother of their kids, but are excellent fucking fathers that, that are more involved in their kids' lives than, you know, dads that live with their kids. So I just kind of want to throw that out there. Yeah, man, that's a, it's a welcome perspective. I think it's important because, you know, as soon as you say something like, oh, but he's not married, then, you know, all of a sudden mm. there's this judgment, these reservations, but how can he be the best of this if he doesn't mm. do this, this, and this? And I think it is good to share that perspective that those things are not always synonymous. One thing that is synonymous with the conversation that we're talking about right now, though, is really changing the narratives and seeing those black faces in those positions. I'm curious, are there any black faces on TV or in film <laughs> that any of you guys have seen or sort of looked up to that like as a as a black father figure and just share what your experience is like about that? Yeah, man, it, there, there's so many. I, I will say the first that I can really recall looking up to is Cliff Huxtable. From the Cosby show. I mean, mm. you know, you he, he was just really- <laughs> this will not age well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the character of Cliff Huxtable. Oh, there we go. Uh, so, but it's really important. And at that time, I couldn't recall. And I actually still looking back, I still can't even really recall mm. when you had a, a father who was a doctor, a mother who's a lawyer. So that family, they're just really doing their thing. But his way of delivering messages through each episode really stuck with me. And I looked forward to watching it. It was really a, a bonding experience for my family and I. To We would sit and, and watch the Cosby show. So that was the, the first impression that I had. I felt very similarly with Family Matters. Mm. Carl, Carl Winslow. Winslow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he was the quintessential great 
black dad to me, like family man and had a wonderful family and was really the head of the house and, and cared for everybody, even Steve who didn't belong to them (laughs) (laughs) and just kept showing up. Like he was, he was great. And I consistently remember him coming in the door and kissing his wife. Hello. And, and that's like one of those little, Shows of affection that we don't see a Mm -hmm. lot from black men just generally. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a sexual thing. It wasn't like, "Mm, you looking good. It was like, it was like a, Hey babe, uh, glad to see you. Right. And then, and that's how he would come in the door a lot of the time. And that felt so good to see something like that on TV. What about you, Jason? For me, you know, it'll have to be uncle Phil. (laughs) I got, I mean, I got the shirt on right now. Um, (laughs) Just, uh, you know, and, I think the characteristics that I admired about his the the, the actor's um, portrayal of him was that he was just strong, smart, which he didn't. He was a judge. He was rich, but besides all that, he really, in his own way, really cared about his family. Gave great advice. Smacked Will upside his head when he needed it. <laughs> uh, would be loving. Would hug him when he needed it. You know, knew how his kids were. Treated all of them sort of differently, but justly, I, I would say. So that to me, that was like the the biggest influence, other than probably Bill Cosby, like uh, you and just said. Cliff Huxtable, sir. Cliff Huxtable, sorry. <laughs> All the Bill Cosby, yeah, and Bill Cosby. I mean, all of us grew up on Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. He was a quintessential. He was everyone's dad. You know, just taking out all the horrible stuff he did, which you really can't, but we're going to try. You can't. <laughs> uh, you know, he, for years, he was like the guy, like he was the, the marquee father, just not a black father. Like, I'm pretty sure a lot of white people that grew up with the Cosby were like, I want my dad to be like he is like, oh, or he reminds me of how my dad talks about kids and, you know, stuff like that. Like that's the, that was a great, that was sort of the magic about the Cosby show, the way that he talked about kids, you know, was so, if you, even me looking back on it, I was like, damn, like, yes, like I have these exact same thoughts. He was able to articulate that in such a funny way and made him such a relatable dad. And I think that's why people love that character so much. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely relate to all of those things. And I think that these are examples of black excellence. And so like, that's why I just, I think it's just so important for like, that's why they stand out so much to us. So like, why, why did that feel so good? And it's like, these are like excellent moments. Like these are excellent people, like an excellent showing of, of what black families look like or can look like. And it doesn't have to just be that stereotype. The last thing that I wanted to add here is it's going to sort of connect with one of our older episodes. We talked about black superheroes and Mm. I want to talk a little bit about just the expectation of our parents to be superheroes. And I will say that one of the things that I've learned again, not speaking from the position of a parent, but just as a child is becoming an adult and then actually realizing that my parents are not superheroes Mm. because as we grow up as kids, we think our parents can deal with and handle anything. And from the mind of a child, as a parent, I'm imagining that we would want children to believe that, hey, you know, mommy's here, daddy's here, everything's going to be okay. But in reality, just because a person becomes a parent, it doesn't mean that all of life's struggles go away and that they all of a sudden become a perfect person in a perfect situation or circumstance. So I think for me, just growing and, and understanding and becoming an adult has helped me to look at parenting a little bit differently and understanding and making space for parents to actually make mistakes and grow themselves. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the things I think about when, um, when I think about being a parent is like whether or not I want my kids to think that I'm like that kind of status Or like how I want to talk about that with my kids is the idea of like, do I make mistakes and is it something I talk about with my kids, Mm -hmm. right? Like, of course I make mistakes. They're going to see me make mistakes and they're going to be like, that was a fuck up. But like, do I talk about that with my kids and how do I talk about that with my kids? And and do I let my kids call me out on mistakes? Mm -hmm. Uh, And do I admit to them and say like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Let's talk about how we move on from here. Right. Like, how does that what does that look like 
for a kid and yeah, how well, would I want to yeah, do that as the yeah. kid grows, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One kid could see that like when you, you like talk, like for instance, my mom one time admitted that one time in her life that she smoked marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> but, she, but she did not inhale. She did not inhale. No, she inhale. Fuck That's right. but, <laughs> so, but you know, just I, one was, long toke. One long toke. I mean, it was the seventies. Hey, oh, everybody was doing it. But right. you know, it was just like you can have one kid look at that and be like, "Oh, okay, that's a cool thing." It, it for me, it made my mom more human. Like, oh, okay, she's. I, I can relate to her a little bit more. For another kid, it was like, well, shit, my mom was turning up. I can turn up. You know, that's in our blood, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But I so, feel like that's taught too. I feel yeah. like that, that like level of idea of how to treat what I, like the fact that your mom smoked marijuana, that's taught to the kid as well. It's not, it's not the first time that they'd be, it's not like that was generated out of the kid going like, Oh yeah, well then fuck it. I could do too. What's in my blood. Like that, the kid's not going to create that in themselves. That's, that's going to come from the parent as well. Most likely in my head, that's how it works. Right? Like you, you show a kid, well, like, uh, well they, they did it. So I'm going to do it too. Like even something that I would think in the car, right? Someone does something sort of illegal in the car and you go, well, screw it. There's no cops around. I'll do that too. And, and like little things like that end up being something that the kid remembers of like, screw it. No one's looking. I'll do that too. And then, and then you tell him, Oh, I smoked marijuana. And then they're like, great. You looking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, it, but it really just all depends on the kid, you know, yeah. Yeah. first and foremost, kids, kids should not be smoking weed, but adults, that's a different story. <laughs> just smoke it out. Empty, man. <laughs> The only advice I would have is that one of my good friends had a, a whole a gang of kids before I even had my first. And I would always give him little like, hey, man, you should do this. Well, you know, not to be preachy. I didn't think I was being too preachy. But being a parent now and, and just thinking about some of those conversations, I just I just could not imagine the things I would have to go through being a parent, the emotion, emotional roller coaster that you have to be going through a parent. So of course, with anything you want to go in with a game plan, but my advice or or whatever would be that, you know, you're going to have to throw that game plan away. Sometimes kids are amazing. They're they're My kids are like the best part of my life by far. But it, it, but with everything that's good in your life, usually it's some other stuff that you know that that kind of comes along to that makes it not so great sometimes. So my advice would be just to just live in the moment, learn, adjust, love, and everything should turn out good. Thanks for listening to Blacklight. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Blacklight Pod. That's Black. L-I-T-E pod. If you have a topic, idea, or feedback you'd like to share with us, you can hit us up at blacklightpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>